This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Skalina. And I'm your other host, Pete Stoyakovic. And Pete Stoyakovic is back. I actually, sorry, Vich. Are you a Vic or a Vich? Well, phonetically, it's Vic, but pronounced pro- pronunciated properly, if I can do that, is uh, Vich. Vich, right. Correct. Okay, so you're Serbian, a lot of Serbians, last name Vich. Just throw a Vich on it, you're pretty much Serbian name, right? Yeah, it's like a, they're going to make a Portlandia sketch. Put a, not put a bird on it, put a Vich on it. Put a Vich on it. All right, Skalina Vich it is. But uh, no, we really, we're, we're happy that you ha- to have you back, Pete, and filling in for Matt Griswold, who's still on the road to camping somewhere, trying to find cell phone reception. Still on that holiday uh, road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's having a good time, apparently. But uh, we've got a fantastic program today. We've got a fan favorite. Dustin Woodhouse is back on the program today. And uh, Dustin's talking about the market. He's talking about the recent interest rate increase and what that means for the market. And then he's got some investment advice, and uh, we cover everything. I really like it when Dustin comes on. He uh, He's a guy that tends to cut through the bull spit. Yeah, the bull spit. The bull spit. <laughs> he gets right to the point. Uh, he's a fantastic guest. And uh, quickly, before we get to that interview with Dustin O'Pete, yeah. um, wanted to mention something just that happened last week. I think it was last Thursday. The City of Vancouver Council just approved the massive Plaza of Nations project. So this is 10.3 acres of land. It's right across from BC Place. It's kind of southeast across from BC yeah, Place, yeah. right on the waterfront. So this is basically, this is going to be entertainments and arts district, uh, events district, restaurants, bistros, bars, craft breweries, 1.6 million square feet of housing. 
That's crazy. Which uh, so thousands of new residents coming to that area, and then you've got a hundred and nine thousand square foot community center, so childcare center, meeting, recreation space, and get this actually, Pete, because uh, I know you're uh, a serious hockey player. Uh, serious is a stretch, but yeah, go on. <laughs> there's a thirty three thousand square foot ice rink. Oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. So break out the Jofa helmet. <laughs> that's right, the old bucket. The bucket, yeah, the Yofa. The, no birdcage, though. No, no birdcage. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's a, so that's super exciting. That's also, um, it's part, I think they're actually linked up in part with uh, the Canucks, because the Canucks are going to use it as their new practice facility, um, but then it's going to be up open to the public when the Canucks are not using it. And uh, of course, this has been on the books for Concord Pacific for years, and it's finally actually going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was sad to see the Plaza Nations go. I think it was condemned way back in the day. We've gone to how many concerts there, but now seeing that they're actually going to do something with it is good to see. I agree. Yeah, no, that's going to be great. So why don't do anything else, Peter? Should we cut to our interview with Dustin Widows? Yeah, I can't wait. Let's get to this interview. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Dustin Woodhouse, uh, fan favorite and local Vancouver mortgage broker. How you doing, Dustin? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks again for uh, taking the time today. Absolutely. So, Dustin, I, a lot of our listeners know who you are. You've been on the podcast a few times now. But can you start maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I mean, in a nutshell, I bought my first investment property 26 years ago when I was 20 years old and uh, been a, a fan of real estate, uh, in particular Vancouver real estate ever since, uh, through some ups and plateaus and a couple of downs and then bounces back. Uh, you know, I've, um, I've made lots of other investments in my life, but none of them have ever proven to be as uh, rewarding over the long term as real estate. And uh, so, so as I say, I come by it honestly from an early age, and then I got involved in mortgage brokering uh, about 11 years ago now, and uh, 1,641 funded mortgage files later, I've seen an awful lot uh, from a mortgage broker's perspective. So lots and lots of interactions, uh, primarily in the greater Vancouver area. Maybe a hundred of those transactions are spread out across the country. Uh, people moving away from Vancouver, people moving back into Vancouver, that sort of thing. Yeah, so as I say, I've kind of been a little obsessed with real estate uh, for the better part of two and a half decades at this point. <laughs> Um, so part of the reason we brought you on is, uh, well, first of all, we always love chatting with you, but we, earlier this week, we also learned that the Bank of Canada raised its uh, benchmark interest rate to 1.5%. What does that mean for the market in Vancouver? I wouldn't say that quarter point, half point, even full one percentage point, uh, as we collectively have had over the last year now, because that's the fourth Bank of Canada quarter point hike. Uh, to to prime uh, the interest rate, which variable rate mortgages are dependent on. Uh, I wouldn't say that that a quarter half or one percent hike has any significant uh, impact on the market whatsoever. I mean, if you go back to the early 2000s and you look at the run up in values we had back then, uh, I was in a, my wife and I owned a detached house in the Port Moody area that went from 290000 to the absolute ridiculous 
price of 455000 Clearly, clearly, houses couldn't get any more expensive. Uh, that happened during a time of rising interest rates. Um, I think you can justify it any way you want. You can say people are uh, nervous that rates are going to keep rising, so they got to get in right away and they got to buy something because they're worried that rates are going to go. Um, there's lots of different ways to look at it. But I think at the end of the day, all real estate decisions are made the way every other decision in human being life is made, and that's on emotion. Right. I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but when my wife and I bought our first house, uh, did we do a deep market analysis of interest rates? Did we even know what interest rates were at or where they'd been or where they might be going? Of course not. We were getting married. So that's what you do when you get married. You buy a house. And when we bought our second house, was that again like a deep market study of interest rates and dynamics and neighborhoods and all that? No, we were pregnant. We needed a bigger house because that's what you do when you get pregnant. You buy a bigger house. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was that simple. And and I think for a lot of listeners, if they really think about it, they'd be hard pressed to find anybody listening to this podcast who made a real estate decision based on empirical data. I mean, <laughs> it's it's usually emotion, and uh, I, I, well, by, and by usually, I'd say a hundred percent of the time. Right. You know, we, we might we might create a spreadsheet later to justify our emotional <laughs> decisions, right? Need a pie chart showing that hundred um, percent. Yeah. So so yeah, there you go. Who's being impacted the most? So there's 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 two two questions in there really. So number one, are interest rates impacting the market? Uh, my answer to that is no, not really. Uh, not not in any material way because there's a much much more dramatic impact. Uh, that it's already been had. We're already seeing the fallout from it. A much, much bigger shift. And that has to do, of course, with the stress test, uh, as it's called, that was brought in where all mortgages are now being qualified at uh, much higher than market interest rates. Uh, there's uh, a few complexities around that, and, and there's no need to go into the detail. You know, have a conversation with your mortgage broker, have a conversation with your banker. The bottom line is that we've gone from a situation where, on average, it was about $15,000 of employment income, gross employment income. So your line 150 on your tax return or notice of assessment, that $15,000 of income got you $100,000 worth of mortgage money. So if you made $60,000 a year, you could qualify for a $400,000 mortgage and away you would go. Uh, Today, as of January 1st of 2018, when that stress test uh, came into full effect, the metric went from 15,000 per 100 to 20,000 per 100. So that same household income of say 60,000 that previously qualified for 400 suddenly qualified for $300,000 worth of mortgage money. And and let's take that those numbers up to more realistic numbers. So a hundred thousand dollar or so household, uh, they've been cut back to roughly a five hundred thousand dollar maximum mortgage amount. Uh, which, when you think about it, that's an eighty six hundred dollar a month gross income household. Uh, 
uh, being cut back to a maximum mortgage payment of around 2400 a month, hmm. depending on how you work those numbers, um, which is arguably uh, excessively restrictive. Certainly in the Vancouver and Toronto markets, it's made it a lot more difficult. And um, that's where the real impact has occurred. Rising interest rates historically slowed the market because as rates crept up, people qualified for a little less money. And so it kind of gradually cooled things off. And what, a, what, what the majority of people, including a great number of uh, the people in Ottawa who make these changes, are out of touch with is that as interest rates went down, we had a number of measures put in place that negated those interest rate decreases. So a household qualified for the same amount of mortgage money at 5.5% in 2006 as they did at 2.5% in 2016 because you no longer had a 40-year amortization that was cut all the way back to 25 year in right. the case of less than 20% down. Every five-year reduction in amortization was the equivalent of a 1% interest rate increase. So the government had, in fact, taken prudent steps to ensure that the record low interest rates weren't allowing record high levels of mortgage debt being taken on in relation to income. Now, were record levels of mortgage debt being taken on? Well, Yes, because house prices have gone up, so people are naturally taking larger mortgages. Um, you know, but there's there's a whole another conversation to be had there. But what we basically had January first was the equivalent of a two percent interest rate hike overnight. Mm -hmm. So again, where you know, to yesterday morning rates went up a quarter point. Normally, that would have a slight cooling effect. Uh, the average mortgage in BC is $400,000. So if you're one of the 15% or so in a variable rate mortgage, uh, your payment may have gone up $60 a month. I say may have because not every lender actually changes the payment when the variable rate interest rate changes. The majority do. But on a $400,000 mortgage, that quarter point bump is $60. So even a 1% hike taking those 15% of people, again, using the average $400,000 balance uh, that are incurring a $240 a month higher payment, uh, is that going to incur blood in the streets? You know, or is there suddenly going to be a rash of foreclosures? No. Uh, what that translates into is a 15-minute waiting time instead of a 45-minute waiting time Friday night at the keg <laughs> because that dinner is 200 bucks. Right. So now that family is not going out for that monthly dinner at the keg. Right. They're making their mortgage payment instead. And that incidentally is a family with a household income that absolutely had disposable income to go to, for dinner at the keg, even after they took that $400,000 mortgage. Because mm -hmm. you had to have excellent credit and that actual income to qualify for that mortgage in the first place. So I know I'm giving you a ridiculously long answer to your question, but the bottom line is a quarter point interest rate movement here or there, not really going to have a significant impact on our market because we're already reeling from a 2% on 
artificial hike right at uh, the start of this year and, and maybe further to that, then, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, policy shifts come into the market. Um, you know, we obviously had the stress test, which you're talking about, introduced at the beginning of the year. What is the biggest contributor, in your opinion, to our market's uh, current state, which a lot are arguing is, is softening? Well, I mean, I've always said the biggest danger to the stability uh, not so much the you know rapid growth, but just the stability of the real estate market in Canada. Uh, the biggest danger is government overregulation, and uh, you've had every level of government pile on into the real estate market with some kind of you know poorly designed tax or another. You know whether it's uh, you know Kelowna taking it on the chin for you know. Your grandfather from Calgary, uh, right? You're, you're in Alberta listening to this podcast. Your grandfather bought a little lot for a couple hundred bucks in Kelowna and Lake Country and built a little family cabin. And today that cabin's worth a million bucks. Well, you know, you're basically a foreign owner. You don't pay tax in BC. So million dollar property, you're going to pay $20,000 a year foreign tax. Really? Like, that's a smart move, B.C. government? Are you kidding me? Like, how much tourism dollars do you think you're going to drive out of the Kelowna area uh, with a tax like that based on people who've owned those cabins for generations who may actually have lived in B.C. right up until recently, and maybe they got transferred to Alberta. Right. And so you could have been born and bred in B.C. for 40 years, but your job takes you to Calgary or just across the provincial line, and now you got to pay a twenty thousand dollar tax on a family cabin that's been in the in the family for three generations. You're not a millionaire. I mean, it's you and three siblings that were lucky enough to inherit this thing, and suddenly that new tax is added to you. Really, I, you know. I mean, that's just one example of the stupidity that we're we're seeing in our market. The foreign buyer tax, I've, I've you know, taken that one to task before as well. Like, you've got all this talk about dirty money. I hate that term. It's a horrible term. Laundered money sounds like drug dealers. It's not drug dealers. But hey, when they use that term laundered money in the media, they're typically talking about people who have left the country, and they are usually talking about one specific country where there are capital restrictions on the outflow of capital. So that country's government has said, hey, our citizens, you're not allowed to take your hard-earned money out of this country. Now, let me ask the fellow Canadians listening to this podcast, if Trudeau said to you tomorrow, hey, we get that there's some great deals down in Phoenix on condos, but guess what? You're not allowed to take any more money out of Canada. That's it. You got to spend it inside Canada. You think you want to take 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 down to the States and buy a property? Forget about it. You're keeping your money inside Canada. How many Canadians would tolerate that? A whole bunch of us would be sewing $100 bills into our suit linings and driving across the border to buy whatever the heck we wanted to buy. Right. And everybody, I'm certain 90% of people listening to that are nodding their heads going, well, yeah, I probably would. So, why do we expect any different from people leaving other countries with, you know, their money in a suitcase? 
And Canada does not have restrictions on you landing at our airport with a million dollars cash in your suitcase. We have restrictions on the origin of that cash. But if you can show that you sold a property, you know, you sold a, a business, and you have paperwork to back up where that money came from, you're allowed to bring that money into our country. Like we don't have restrictions against the inflow of foreign capital, other than specific countries, which we do have sanctions against, and that's a, another conversation. So, you know, again, I'll circle back on, ultimately on that foreign buyer tax. The issue, if the government has issues with the origins of this money, if the government doesn't want this money flowing into the country, then why are they asking for 20% more of it? in the form of a foreign buyer's tax. Why aren't they simply saying, hey, foreign buyers, you can own one property. We have an excellent title system. You know, Oh, they'll put it in a company name. We have an excellent corporate registry system. You can very easily do a search who's a shareholder of this company. Sorry, that shareholder already owns the property. We could have very, very easily limited foreign ownership to one property per family, per foreigner, whatever it is. Instead, we said, just bring us 20% more of that money that you're not supposed to be bringing us. That was the government solution. So again, I mean, really unfortunate uh, over-regulation or misguided regulation, in my opinion. Right, right. And, and, and thinking about this, this current climate with, you know, um, you know, the stress tests and, and uh, what's happening with the NDP government and obviously at all levels, municipal, provincial, federal, are are you are you buying real estate right now, or would you buy real estate right now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, everybody has to live somewhere, and I believe there is in the making uh, an absolute crisis for tenants. Like I, I think what you're going to see is continued restriction on supply because. The government is not creating an environment where builders are saying, hey, let's build an extra thousand units because we're going to be able to sell those. Instead, the government is creating a situation of uncertainty and business and capital and investments does not like uncertainty. And again, for the listener, hey, I'm not too sure what's going to happen with this idea I have. Uh, the market should be stable. I don't know for sure. How about you put $100,000 into my my idea? What do you think? I'm not too sure what it's going to look like. But, well, no chance. Whereas right? if I can map out for you that this is an absolute no-brainer, this is going to be a win. Okay, you'll put your money into that. Well, real estate doesn't necessarily feel like a no-brainer or a win for a developer looking at building a tower or condos or, or even a builder developing a detached house right now. It's not as sure a thing because who's going to qualify to buy this thing? That's the problem. You know, and then you have a whole host of other changes being made uh, around being a landlord. It's, it's never been fun being a residential landlord. You know, like a commercial landlord, uh, you don't pay the rent. So like the Starbucks that you go to, the Starbucks doesn't pay the rent on the 1st of August. Come August 10th, the owner of that space walks in there, 
takes everything in the building they need to cover off the cost of the outstanding rent and puts a for rent sign up, and that's it. Game over. It is the absolute other end of the spectrum for residential landlords. And I, to be clear, am more socialist than I'm probably sounding. I love that we live in a socialist country. I love that we patch you up and ask questions later at the hospital and the doctors. And I think it's important that we have all the social support that we do. I'm a, I'm a, a conservative-looking individual, but at my core, I'm a, I'm a liberal rapper and a conservative rapper. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like most of us, I'm not all one one thing. Right. Um, so I, I like libertarian policies. I like socialist policies. Um, but you can skew things a little too far and you start making it difficult to be a landlord. Um, and you put landlords in tough spots. Uh, people decide not to be landlords anymore. Right. So I think we're, and again, the financing for individual investors, extremely challenging now, like gone are the days of the plumber making a hundred thousand a year that will own five, 10 properties. Those days are long gone. Uh, that, that plumber will be lucky to own one door, his own, her own. You know, it's uh, become very difficult to be an individual investor and, and uh, build up any kind of portfolio of properties. So as I say, you go back to the risk and uncertainty for the big developers now, they have to look at the fact that the stress test has taken a certain percentage of buyers out of the market. The new rules around investment property mortgages have taken a certain number of investors out of the market. Uh, the foreign buyer tax has taken a number of hardworking individuals living in Canada for the last two or three years, hoping to become Canadian citizens. Now it's taken them out of the market. Never mind somebody like like the perception of what a foreign buyer is is, is a little bit off base often as well. So as I say, you've got all these different restrictions taking buyers progressively out of the market. So the builders are going to back away, not put as much product up, yet we still have the same number of people. What is it, about 50,000 a year flowing into BC every year? And they all got to live somewhere. Right. So again, another 5,000 word answer to your question, but... If you can find a property in the lower mainland that cash flows, and they do exist, talk to the Scalina boys about where you'll find that property. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's your plug. Uh, They they do exist. There are cash flowing investment properties to be had in the lower mainland. And rents, when's the last time you heard somebody say there's a bubble in rents? And rents are going to collapse by 80%. Like, sorry, not happening. Rents are going one way, they're going up. And they're going to go up even more because there's going to be fewer properties available for rent and more people looking to rent them. Because if you can't qualify to buy, you have to rent. And so, so, so yeah, very true. Yeah. Well, Dustin, and I know of the many hats that you wear, you, you're also a, a real estate investor and, um, and a landlord. Um, where, like, are there any areas that you're excited about right now? Uh, the most recent purchase we made uh, was a pre-sale, which I don't normally don't like to buy pre-sales. I like to buy something that is going to start paying me right away. 
but we bought a, a pre-sale in Burnaby uh, in, a, in a tower. And, you know, we bought that last January. Looking at it, it looks like it should be a break-even property. We may have to subsidize it by 100 or 200 a month for the first year or two. I'm okay with a little bit of a, a subsidy to start with. Because again, rents only go in one direction, and uh, and I like that Brentwood area. I mean, people say, "Oh, it's being overbuilt." Well, again, those are people that don't realize that a builder doesn't get to put a shovel in the ground until they've sold two out of three units. So when you see a building that's a hole in the ground, two out of three units are sold, guaranteed. And usually, by the time you see those floors coming up out of the ground, the whole thing is sold. There's no, there's no leftover units left. So as much construction as you see going on around there, they are all sold, and we do have a steady inflow of population. So you know it's close to transit. I, I've really gotten hooked on the transit thing. I will admit, um, having a 20 and 22 year old and looking at the cost of car insurance and cars and what they incur on that. Uh, the value in being close to a SkyTrain station or close to reasonable transit access, I think that's critical. And increasingly, I think our tenants are going to be people who are maybe a one-car family, a no-car household. So rental properties closer to transit, you can't go wrong with. Now, within a 10-minute walk of a SkyTrain station, you're looking pretty good. No, I, I agree for sure. Are, do you, and do you go outside of British Columbia at all, or are you mostly investing close to where you live? Well, personally, uh, I, I managed to rack up 63,000 uh, aeroplane miles last year, uh, jumping on airplanes, or air, air miles, I should say, uh, traveling last year. Right. Um, you, you get that little status card in the mail, and it's like a badge of shame. What have I done? <laughs> um, so I, I spent a lot of time flying... Uh, primarily to Toronto, a little bit to Ottawa, some trips to Calgary and uh, Regina and Winnipeg is in there as well. And I'll tell you, I started going to Toronto about five years ago. And I remember walking around downtown Toronto five years ago going, wow, is everything here an amazing bargain? I cannot believe people are not buying in Toronto. Uh, and I felt that way for a good three years running. In the last couple of years, of course, Toronto has run away and things are a lot pricier at this point. Um, but I'll tell you, the city I still think is phenomenal. And I thought it five years ago and I thought it just last month when I was there is Ottawa. Right. I mean, think about the incredible volume of potential renters you have who have excellent, stable government jobs, the government town, right? I mean, it's the, the center of our federal government. And uh, a lot of them are not necessarily going to live there for years and years. So there's a lot of rental, a lot, a lot of opportunity for tenants. And, uh, and the properties are affordable. Ottawa is steady, Eddie. You know, just a steady incremental gain in value year over year. Properties, cash flow, and, and it's a beautiful town in the summertime, primarily. I'll admit, but it's a beautiful city. That's actually the second so, the second vote that we've had for Ottawa in the in the past month or so. We had Brad Lamb on the podcast uh, not too long ago, uh, and, and he was very excited about Ottawa as well. 
um, suggesting that, you know, because Trudeau is young and will likely uh, stay in, in power for quite some time, um, you know, he'll be growing government and there'll be plenty of jobs in Ottawa and uh, it's got a bright future. Well, I mean, I don't think it matters what party is in power. Uh, you know, government rarely contracts. Uh, you know, government <laughs> right. continues to expand. So I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of job losses in Ottawa anytime soon. So there might be some turnover, which, you know, again, just a, an opportunity to adjust rents, I suppose. But no, I, I do. I like Ottawa for sure. So Dustin, we're, we're big fans of your, your e-newsletter that comes out. Your, we're on your mailing list and we always encourage fans to, uh, to go check out your mailing list as well. Cause there's always great information in your, in your emails. Um, you just actually sent one out on fixed or variable mortgages. Um, what are you what, what are you getting yourself? What are you putting your clients into right now? And uh, what are the pros and cons? Um, well, I, uh, I'm in variable rate mortgages. Uh, we're in variable on all our properties, have been since 1997. I've never really looked back. I think the the one exception was a two-year fixed when that was the deeper discount than the variable. And certainly I had a number of clients uh, decide. I mean, I advise, clients instruct. Uh, so I certainly advised two-year fixed was a great option two and a half years ago or so. Uh, and it was. It was a lower cost than the variable at the time. And then when those clients came up for renewal, uh, sure, the five-year fixed had, had risen, but that was beside the point. You could take a, another two-year fixed, a three-year fixed. You'd still wound up with a very low average rate. Or better yet, at that point, the discounts had come back on variable. Uh, we're still quite strong in the discount zone. I mean, prime minus 0.75 or thereabouts is, is readily available, a little bit deeper from certain institutions on certain uh, files as well. And so today I still think the variable, if you're starting out with a brand new mortgage or you're coming up for renewal right now, uh, you know, you look at a five-year fixed rate that is a solid three quarters of a point higher than a variable rate mortgage. It just, uh, when the spread is that wide, it, it, even when the spread has been a half a percent, uh, to me, it just does not make sense to lock in, but that's because I have more information than most people have. And that critical piece of information that's missing, uh, I'll try and summarize the eight-minute video in two minutes. Um, the bottom line is, is people are making two bets, and they only think they're making one bet. So when they say, I'm going five-year fixed, they're saying, I bet I'm right. I bet the five-year fix is going to save me money, uh, to which I say, make sure you're doing the math properly. And they say, well, if prime goes up three quarters of a point, I win. And that's not accurate math. No, you haven't won. You still lost because I'm saving money until prime goes up another three quarters of a percent. So I'm winning. And then even when we're paying the same interest rate, I still won because I still saved money while the rate was lower. So actually, Prime needs to go up another one, two, or three points for me to give back what I had saved. And even then, when do we get to the break-even point? Is it going to be inside that five-year term? 
So it isn't a matter of prime going up three times and then, oh, darn, I wish I locked in. It's a matter of prime going up six or seven times, arguably, uh, before you're really losing. And how much are you losing? We're probably talking a few hundred dollars. I'll give you a couple thousand dollars over a five-year term. But then comes into play the second bet that, again, the majority of Canadians did not realize they were making. They did not get advised on it. I mean, I've, I've delivered this next little bit of information to 2,000-plus first-time callers and never had a single one of them say to me, oh, yeah, my banker told me that. Oh, yeah, the other broker told me that. Now, there's a lot more brokers talking about it now because I really push it out there to every broker I interact with, a couple thousand brokers a year. So I like to think this this piece of information is getting pushed uh, a little bit more aggressively out there. And that second bet is the reality that two out of three Canadians will break their mortgages before they go to the full term. And in fact, the average break point is about 36 months. It was 38 months with a few lenders I've spoken with. It's now hovering around 33. So I'm sort of splitting the difference. But basically, two out of three Canadians will break their mortgage at the three-year mark on average. Uh, Now, it's a lot easier to speak in generalities when I don't have live people sitting across from me. Uh, so, So I'll take that opportunity right now. People go, well, how can that be? Well, six out of 10 marriages end in divorce. 96% of businesses do not last 10 years. So in other words, if you've got a couple of newlyweds sitting across from you who both own their own businesses, the odds of them making it through a five-year term of their mortgage are pretty slim. Pretty slim. That's just the the way it works. Um, I shouldn't say newlyweds. Maybe I'll say people married five or 10 years already. Um, and, and especially if they're each running their own business, that's a whole other set of stress, uh, stressors in life. So statistically, there's just a whole bunch of things going on in people's lives, transfers, promotions, job loss, business challenges, personal challenges that are triggering two out of three of them to break the mortgage early. And when they break it, that's when they find out they actually put a whole bunch of more money on the line than they realized. And that is typically four and a half percent of the balance of the mortgage. And again, people go, how can you say it's four and a half percent? Where is that written? Well, this is the problem. It's not written anywhere. It's not spelled out. It's not quantified. It's not dollarized. It's not put in a percentage. It's put in a wonderful term, interest rate differential. Oh, well, interest rates are rising, so it's not going to be an issue. Oh, trust me. They have that figured out. Look, the banks don't make a billion dollars every three months by accident. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't make a billion dollars every three months. I'm not that smart. I haven't got that figured out. But the banks do. And so they haven't figured out. So that penalty will be, in most cases, four to four and a half percent of the balance. And no one sees that coming. Whereas if they were in a variable rate mortgage, that penalty right now is about three quarters of a percent of the balance. Mm-hmm. massive, massive difference. And going back to that BC average, $400,000 mortgage, you know, three quarters of a point versus four and a half, you know, $18,000 thump or $3,000 thump, a $15,000 difference. I think if you had people sitting there and you said to them, 
hey, you might save a couple thousand in interest, but you have a two out of three chance of triggering a $15,000 penalty difference, 18000 versus 3000 I think you have a lot fewer people opting for that fixed rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. So my internal numbers are the flip side of the national average. The national average is like 85-15, 85% 15 15% variable or shorter term. I, I would say it's actually more than 85% of my clients are variable or two-year fixed. Because the two-year fixed doesn't trigger that big penalty either. Right. So well, there it is in a great big nutshell. <laughs> I don't know how to do small nutshells. <laughs> no, that's, that's fantastic advice. And I, and I, know, uh, I know you're busy and we've, we've taken a lot of your time already, but I, I just wanted to maybe switch gears back to talking about the market, the current state of the market. Any predictions for the rest of 2018? If you're a buyer trying to buy something under a million dollars, you're going to continue to wonder what the media is talking about when they use words like slow down, cool down, this kind of thing, because the the sub million dollar market, it's still hot, hot, hot. I mean, you guys are the ones to comment on this more than I am. Sure. But certainly what I'm seeing with my clients, I mean, one of them just sold a townhouse and multiple offers in 72 hours uh, for 10% above asking price um, in uh, Coquitlam two weeks ago, like things are still for me anyway, from my little slice of the market, I'm seeing things are still sizzling in that sub million dollar market. Um, but over a million, it starts to cool significantly. You head up over a million and a half over 2 million. And it's arguably ice cold at this point. Right. right. So we have two different markets in this city at this point. And and uh, any thoughts on, do you think it's going to just continue going by price band then? And, and we're going to see the uh, sub-million dollar market continue to be very hot? I was joking with somebody earlier today that the, the, the federal government's uh, changes are inadvertently having an effect where all properties will wind up priced at $1 million. <laughs> on a condo in uh, you know, Langley, that'll be a million dollars. You want a detached house in Vancouver? That'll be a million dollars. Like, of course, that's not, well, it's not going to be the reality, right? right. Mean, what you're seeing is you're, you're seeing activity drop, but you're not seeing prices drop mm-hmm. um, because people don't need to sell. They don't have to sell for the most part. The majority of people don't have to sell. It's not like it has to happen. Um, you know, so who's going to blink first on those $2 million properties? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Or do the sellers blink first and start dropping their prices uh, significantly? Or do the buyers come back into the market? We'll see. Right. But the majority of the action due to the, the stress test and the tightening of uh, available mortgage money is in that sub-million dollar space. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Right. I mean, I, and I was actually just thinking about this uh, before we jumped on the call. I mean, you know, there's been some soft patches in our market over the last, uh, you know, two decades or so. Um, but like, what does a what does a downturn in Vancouver even really look like? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the one that we're clearly entering is is probably not going to wind up radically different than all the rest, where we take a little breather. 
Maybe we even take a few steps back on, on price, not just sales activity. And then we catch our breath and move forward again. Although I, I'm not a political guy. I, I don't. I hope I didn't make any overtly political statements per se. Um, but the current provincial party that's in power, the last time they were in power, we had, what was it, basically 10 years of a somewhat flat market. Right we could have 10 years of a flat market. Um, you know, I hope that somebody in Ottawa has their finger over the undo button when they start to realize that, you know, all this stress test nonsense, and it is nonsense that they put in place just in case, uh, you know, we go into a recession. I hope they realize that they're actually going to be triggering the recession they were afraid of with the changes they've made to protect us in the event of a recession because somehow they all seem to have lost the thread of the plot. Like guys in 2008, nine, we had a real stress event, not a test. It was real <laughs> and we came through it and we were fine. We did okay. And we've tightened up significantly every year. We've had mortgage changes that have tightened up qualifying criteria every year for 10 years since then. But this last round, just a little bit too big of a hit, combined with every other level of government making all kinds of additional changes, I, I, I think you know, we're, we're, we're down for the count. It was the count five years, 10 years, we'll see. And hopefully the pendulum will start to shift back the other way and life will come back. And when I say hopefully, I don't mean that hopefully values will continue to march on upward. What I mean is hopefully we will have some cooler heads prevail. And instead of trying to change the market through demand side economics, making it tougher for people to buy, some logical minds will come into power who will try and address the supply side of the equation. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a really hot day, but your ice cream, and there's only one ice cream cone available, that ice cream cone is going to go for 25 bucks. Because there's going to be somebody that can afford to pay 25 bucks for that one ice cream cone. Now, it's a really hot day, and there's a guy with 10,000 popsicles to sell on a cul-de-sac. Those popsicles are going to be a penny apiece because he's never going to get rid of them all. And I'm not saying we're at $25 single ice cream zone, but we're sure as heck not at 10,000, you know, penny a popsicle zone. And uh, unfortunately, they have not done anything other than make creating supply more difficult. You know, it, it's bizarre to me. So increasing supply was the logical move, but that's not what we got. We got attempts to restrict demand which makes no sense whatsoever. Well, maybe we'll leave it there for today then, Dustin. So how can people find out more about you and what you do? Uh, well, as I say, I, I, you know, I, well, I, I said it uh, off the air before we got recording, but uh, generally speaking, I do only work with existing clients of mine at this point or referrals from existing clients. So absolutely, I do get the odd uh, inquiry uh, from a listener. Um, by all means, fire me an email if you have questions or an inquiry. And uh, if I can't help you, uh, I definitely have other brokers in my orbit that I can connect you with that can help you. Um, so, so I am available. I mean, the easiest way to track me down is uh, bestinwoodhouse.ca. 
but I do spend a lot more of my time these days uh, working with mortgage brokers, not so much working with mortgage clients. Excellent. Well, we'll have we'll have a link to your site on our show notes as well, Dustin. And yeah, again, we really appreciate your time and thanks thanks for another uh, engaging interview. Hey, always enjoy chatting with you guys. So there you have it, folks. That's our interview with Dustin Woodhouse. Adam, what's your biggest takeaway? You know, Pete, uh, we always love having Dustin on the program. And, you know, I mean, he's the type of guy you just ask him one question and he goes and he talks and and it's always fascinating, right? I mean, it's always... And some of our most downloaded episodes are always the Dustin Woodhouse episodes. That's right. Let's pull out of the gates. Yeah, he's definitely a fan favorite. And, you know, I, I think... What he says, he's got a very calming effect when he talks about the market. And I think he highlighted something that was really interesting is the stress test, right? I mean, the stress test is what's really had the impact on borrowing power. And he's not concerned about this this small interest rate increase, which I don't think anyone really should be. The stress test, as he pointed out, was the equivalent of a 2% interest rate increase, right? Right, right. So, I mean, that's that's substantial. That is going to have real impacts on the market, and it has, right? Yeah. Um, so that was probably my biggest takeaway and uh, really fascinating. And it, when he talks about the market, too, I mean, he's got that kind of unwavering confidence in the market where it, it's business as usual for him. He keeps investing. He's still looking right now. He's still buying right now. And it doesn't, his long-term goal is unaffected. Right. It's just it's almost irregardless of of what's happening with the market. He's just going to plow forward. Yeah. A lot of times I hear from potential clients, you know, can it get higher? Is it possible for the for the market to go higher? And you don't get that from Dustin. He just keeps going. Well, here's the thing. And Dustin made a really good point when he when he said that he bought his house for I think he bought it around 400,000 or so. And at that time, the feeling was how could houses increase more than 400,000. I mean, he felt like he was buying it at the height. And honestly, when when I bought my first house in East Vancouver, we felt that we were buying at the height. We were freaking out. Everybody always feels like they're buying at the height. That's not a new feeling, right? Yeah. You always feel that. And I mean, hindsight is 2020. And when you look back at the market and you say, "Oh, wow. Well, yeah, at 400, I would have bought two." Yeah, would you have? It would have felt it still would have been a tough decision, you know? When condos in Yale Town were $200,000 and you talk to the people that actually bought them, it was a tough decision because what were houses in Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary? Yeah, right? no kidding. I mean, I guess and that's the difference. A box about... in the sky, right? Versus a house. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. That's kind of the difference about, you know, being on the on the sidelines and power walking. Well, that, that, that is the difference. And quickly, Pete, I... We'll uh, get back to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's what's new in your life otherwise? I'm uh, I'm just curious, uh, just because we never get to have you on, and it's exciting. Uh, just yesterday, I had a little bit of a, I don't know, a little feather in the cap. Uh, took a client through an open house and had an inspection, and... Uh, Went the, well? Yeah, the seller's agent actually said that I looked like uh, her daughter's boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> That was that was the, that was the highlight of the showing. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed well, really. Uh, it, was, it was. It felt like a warm comment. I don't the, know. I quite like it. It, it, it was nice. The, you know, the first step of of becoming a boyfriend is looking like someone else's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then the second step, I guess, is being a boyfriend. No. Yeah, it's the old. Uh, well, it's funny, the old you, switcheroo. The switcher- <laughs> well, you know your your Bumble app has been uh, vibrating throughout this recording, so uh, you're you're well on your way from the sounds of things. Yeah, it's it's basically just notifying me that I need to finish my my, my profile. <laughs> it's not complete. <laughs> well, well, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, Pete is never too busy for your referrals. 
Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, nice little plug there. Uh, but also, Pete, uh, what else is uh, going on at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com? You got everything. And it's your one-stop shop for real estate in Vancouver. Now we've got uh, PCS as well. Adam? Mm, Pete, if you are mm. not using PCS, <laughs> you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You have sold prices. You've got listing updates 36 to 72 hours before the general public MLS. And you also get days on market. It's realtor-level information. It's a one-stop shop. It's a free resource. And it's available for you for free at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've also got that mobile app. Augmented reality. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So picture this. You're out there. You're driving around. You see a building that you like. You love the look of it. Maybe it's the Grace downtown. It's an interesting building. Gargoyles. Uh, You drive by the Grace. You park. You point your phone. And you see, oh, wow, there's three listings in there. I better contact my realtor. Except this time you're listening to In the Air Tonight instead of Susu Studio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. About to do that air drum solo. Um, but also, Hands on the wheel, 10 and 2. Yeah. <laughs> also, we've got uh, the Livewire, which is a great resource. Livewire gives you tips and tricks for buying real estate in Vancouver, gives you all the episode updates, and it's got the deal of the month. That's right. The deal of the month. Adam, how can people reach you? Pete, you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Pete? You can reach me at 604-782-7484 or Peter at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Adam, what about that nonpartisan line? It's RippedRealtor at BumbleApp.com. Oh, wait, no, that's your bubble account. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> you know that's not how emails work, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. BumbleApp.com. It's, it's, it's info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. So have a great week, guys, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Seriously, not too busy for your referrals. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? 
Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 